0: True Crime South Africa is published in conjunction with Tiso Blackstar Group, publishers of Times Live, Business Live, Sowetan Live, and others. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Tiso Blackstar Group or its affiliates. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht and you're listening to episode 19, The Murder of Marlene Mower. Before we get into today's case, I'd like to take a few minutes to thank our Patreon rock star supporters. Thank you to the following listeners for supporting the show through Patreon. Charmaine Smith, Toast, Angie Lowe, Geordie Rice, Anne-Marie Lochner, Jacob Lipson, Kim, Dixie E, Jackie Prozeski, Tracy Lee Montgomery, Niels Koleski, Megan Haynes, Amarae Royan, Alaska Smith, Grace, Wendy Rousseau, Cindy Morrick, Steve Kerens, Monica Jacobs, Villa Nikak, Robin, Raina Fletch, Bets van Jarsfeldt, Rosalie Smith, Matlatse Charane, Tanya Beneka, Nanette, Jane Carew, Janine Stein, Megan Rainker, Megan Repko, Adriana Coit King, David Edwards, Grant Boyens, and Marie. Your support is greatly appreciated and really makes a huge difference. Funds collected through Patreon go towards increasing our research capabilities and purchasing equipment. If you'd like to support the show through Patreon, I'll leave the link in our show notes or you can go to patreon.com and search for True Crime South Africa. As always, supporting any form is helpful and appreciated, whether it's financial, sharing our episodes, inviting your friends to listen, or interacting on social media. Every bit helps. Today's case was suggested by Natalie Volhuta. Natalie also assisted with a lot of the research for the case, and she was very keen to make sure that Marlene's story was told. Thank you for your suggestion and for your assistance, Natalie. This murder occurred in 2006, but it's recently come to the fore again in the media, for reasons we'll discuss a bit later. There are still many unanswered questions in this case, and although someone was convicted for it, those questions remain unanswered. Let's get into episode 19. The murder of Marlene Moa. The following episode may contain sensitive material, including descriptions of violence, sexual assault, or graphic descriptions of injuries to victims. If you feel you may be triggered by such material, please consider this before accessing our content. To access trauma counselling or services, please see the helpline information on our show notes. Marlene Antoinette, Moa was born on the 2nd of April, 1985, to her mother, Joey. According to her loved ones, she was an absolute firecracker, loving and sweet, with a fantastic sense of humour, but also feisty, and was never scared to stand up for herself or those she loved. Marlene's brother recalled that she loved wearing high heels, and he always knew she was home because he would hear the click of her heels coming down the hallway. In 2006, Marlene was 22 years old. She was employed and in a relationship. Her mother, Joey, says that she was looking forward to getting married and having children of her own. Marlene was at the very start of her adult life, and as we all do at that time in our lives, she was constantly on the lookout for opportunities to better herself. So when she saw an advert in the newspaper for a job as a salesperson, she applied the man who had placed the advert was Donny Vvalt, city-year-old Donny worked as a blockman at a butchery. He had recently separated from his wife, with which he had two children, and he was living with his parents again in their home in Mayer's Park, Pretoria. Ten years before Donny had been involved in a car accident and experienced head trauma. His father would later say that from the moment Darnie had suffered that head injury, he had been experiencing sudden bouts of rage where he couldn't control himself. Whether this had been a contributor to his marriage breaking down is unknown, but Darnie had also developed a drug problem. He was using crystal methamphetamine and marijuana on a daily basis. Darnie had decided that he wanted to start his own business. And despite his father telling him that he didn't think it was a good idea, Donnie continued on with his plans. Part of Donnie's business plan was to hire sales staff for the cold meat products he planned to sell. And he'd been holding interviews at his parents' house for weeks before Marlene came across his advert. Donnie's father had figured out that he was interviewing people and told them in no uncertain terms to stop. It was his house after all, and he had every right to say what happened there. Donnie was determined though, and despite the fact that he did not even have money to start a business, never mind pay sales staff, he continued to place advertisements and interview people. One such person was Marlene Mower. We know that Marlene had attended an interview at Donnie's father's house at some stage, but I was unable to find a date for this encounter. The interview seems to have gone well because Donnie had contacted Marlene, informed her that the interview had been successful, and set up another meeting with her for the 10th of February, 2006. I don't know whether any employment documentation was exchanged between Marlene and Donny, but Marlene must have been convinced that she had secured a viable position, because she resigned from her job. On the 10th of February 2006, Marlene Moa went to meet Donnie, as they'd arranged, at his father's house. Before Marlene had arrived, Donnie had used crystal meth and marijuana. I can only assume that the meeting was supposed to be about when Marlene could start her position with Donnie's so-called company. Unfortunately, Donnie had not been honest with Marlene, and at some stage during that conversation, Donnie admitted that he didn't actually have a business running yet, and he still had to start it. Understandably, Marlene had become enraged. She had resigned from her job because she'd been promised a job working for Donnie, and now she was hearing that there was no company to work for in the first place. Donnie's version of what happened next is all we have to work with, unfortunately. But we will discuss later how it doesn't entirely marry up with the evidence. Donnie says that in her anger, Marlene attacked him and hit him on the chest with her fists. She was screaming. In his statement, he says that he, quote, instinctively covered Marlene's mouth and nose with his hand, end quote. Now, I'd like to raise two points here. The first is that Marlene Mower weighed 49 kilograms, and Donnie at that time probably weighed at least twice that, if not more. Marlene was no physical threat to him, unless she had a weapon like a knife or a gun, which she didn't. The second point I'd like to make is about Donnie's use of the word instinctively. I don't know about you. But if someone is angry with me and hitting me on my chest with their fists and screaming, my first instinct is not to cover their mouth and nose with my hand. You go into flight, fight or freeze mode when you're under threat. You either try and get away, you fight back, but then in my opinion the most logical thing to do would be to grab her arms or push her away, or you would freeze and not know what to do. In my opinion, Donnie was not trying to stop Marlene from hitting him. He just wanted her to stop screaming. That's why he covered her mouth. His father had already told him on several occasions that he should stop holding interviews at his house. Donnie had also used drugs, and most likely had drugs in the house. I think that Donnie realized that if a neighbor or passerby heard Marlene screaming, someone might call the police. At the very least, a neighbour might mention the shouting to his father that night. In that moment, all Donnie cared about was not getting into trouble, but that's just my opinion. According to Donnie, he doesn't remember killing Marlene. After he placed his hand over her mouth and nose, He claims that the next thing he remembers is sitting on top of her on the floor, with his hands around her neck. He realized that she was dead. Donnie then placed a plastic bag over Marlene's head and placed her in the boot of her own car. He got into the driver's seat and drove around with Marlene's body for hours. He eventually abandoned the car with Marlene's body in the boot in a parking lot. He stripped the car radio out of the car and stole Marlene's handbag, sunglasses, umbrella and cell phone, presumably to make her death look like a robbery gone wrong. Donnie then returned to his parents' house, tried to clean up the crime scene and still managed to keep an appointment with his estranged wife. There is very little information available about how events unfolded after the murder. But Donnie's father would later say that his son had not said anything about the murder that evening and that he hadn't noticed anything out of place in the house. He did say that Donnie had behaved very strangely that night, like a small child who was afraid of something. After recovering Marlene Moa's body from her vehicle, police traced her last steps. As is quite normal in a murder investigation, They worked from the inside out, first interviewing her boyfriend. He provided them with information regarding a new job that Marlene was going to be starting on the day of her murder. During Marlene's autopsy, it was determined that she had not only been strangled, but she'd also lost a significant amount of blood from a head injury, which included a cracked skull. Police would eventually track down Donnie van der from cell phone records. Marlene had called him, and he'd called her. Donnie was arrested and charged with the murder of Marlene Moa. Donnie's parents were shocked that such a thing had taken place in their own house, and that they had no idea. Donnie's father said that he could not comprehend how his son could do such a thing, He'd been unable to even shoot a buck when they were hunting and he'd never seen a side to his son that would make him think he was capable of murder. Marlene's mother, Joey, was beyond devastated. Her only daughter had been viciously ripped away from her and she had so many questions. Unfortunately, many of these questions would remain unanswered during the trial. Donnie pleaded guilty to the murder so little could be done to disprove his version of events. Darnier and his defence counsel insisted that he was of diminished capacity when he committed the murder, because he had a prior head injury, which altered his behaviour. He was using drugs on the day of the murder, and it also emerged that doctors had suspected that Darny had suffered brain damage at birth, which led him to having a low IQ. A psychologist testifying for the defense stated that he believed the murder was a once-off event and would never have happened if Marlene hadn't attacked Darnie. He went on to confirm that Darney did have outbursts of anger since his head injury in the car accident and that when he was under severe pressure, he did not behave like a normal person would. I find this a bit contradictory. If Darnie is unable to behave normally when he's under severe pressure due to a physical injury in his brain, which is not going to change no matter how much time passes, how can he say with utmost certainty that the murder was a once-off event? What happens the next time Darnie's under pressure? Darnie's version of events did not explain Marlene's head injury but he was clearly aware of it because he had put a plastic bag over her head. I think that the plastic bag served one purpose, to stop blood from dripping off her head and onto the floor or onto him when he carried her body to the car. His claim of snapping in the moment also didn't ring true if you consider that he was able to think clearly enough to get rid of the body, clean the scene, try and stage her car to make it look like a robbery and then later meet with his estranged wife. If he had truly snapped and dissociated, surely his parents would have come home to find him sitting next to a dead body in a daze, or he would have called someone for help saying, oh my god, I don't know what I've done. He did none of that. He tried to cover up the crime and he did everything he could to avoid being caught. Thankfully, Judge John Murphy also did not see that Darney had been in a state of diminished capacity that day. He said that despite Donny's alleged low mental functioning, he'd done very well up until that point in his life, to hold down a job, have a relationship, and be a responsible father. He'd also displayed more than sufficient mental capacity in the attempts he made to cover up his crime. The judge didn't feel that Donnie had premeditated the crime, and I think I agree with him on that one. I don't think that Donnie called Marlene there that day to murder her. He did call her there under false pretenses, though. But that could have been for a few reasons. Donnie could have felt a self-esteem boost by putting himself in the position of the owner of a company and interviewing prospective staff members. He could have simply been enjoying that position of power. It's also possible that he picked Marlene because she was a beautiful young woman, and perhaps he wanted to spend more time with her. The latter is just my own opinion, though, and there's no proof that the murder had a sexual element. As for Donnie's drug use, the judge agreed that it probably did play a role in the violence, but he couldn't allow Donnie to excuse his behaviour because of it, as his drug use was a personal choice. Donnie had also admitted that he had continued using drugs in prison, which makes me wonder how remorseful he really was over his drug use. Marlene's mother, Joey, has suffered a huge amount of tragedy in her life. Amongst other events, she lost her husband and her eldest son in a car accident shortly before Marlene was murdered. She was understandably devastated at the sudden and shocking loss of her only daughter and wanted to get answers from Donnie van She visited Donnie in jail while he was awaiting trial. And two very different stories would emerge about what happened during that visit. Donnie spoke about the visit during his pre-sentencing hearing and said that he had begged forgiveness from Joey and that she had forgiven him. Joey, on the other hand, said that she had asked Donnie questions about the event that he refused to answer and he'd said she'd find out in court. When Joey took the stand herself, she again posed these questions to Donnie and still received no answers throughout the process. In passing sentence, the judge accepted that Donny may have brain damage, low intelligence, and abused drugs, but he did not feel that any of these aspects deserved a lenient sentence. He said that Donny had ripped a beautiful young lady who was just starting her life away from her family, who had already suffered so much pain. He also found that Donny's efforts to cover up the crime should be considered aggravating circumstances. In South Africa, there are two types of charges in the killing of a person, murder and culpable homicide. We do not have separate charges for premeditated murder or murder that is unplanned but those factors can be taken into account in sentencing by the judge. The minimum sentence for murder in South Africa is 15 years. That means if you commit murder, the judge must give you at least 15 years. The judge can then take all of the mitigating and aggravating circumstances into account and decide whether he wishes to give a harsher sentence and he can also decide whether the offender should be allowed parole. In general, an offender is allowed to apply for parole when they've served half of their sentence or after a non-parole period as specified by the judge. It is for all of the above-mentioned reasons that the judge sentenced Darnie van der Waal to 17 years behind bars. Whether the sentence fits the crime can be debated in our own personal capacity but it is according to how the judge saw fit to apply the law. Marlene's mom was understandably not happy with the sentence, and she said that although she took no pleasure from seeing Donnie behind bars and it didn't bring her daughter back, she felt that, in her words, if Donnie was released, the world would be too small for the two of us. I can absolutely understand why she feels this way there was no reason for Donnie to have killed Marlene. And if we believe that he just lost it and the attack was as a result of his brain damage and resulting outbursts of anger and loss of control, what exactly would have changed in 17 years? I'm sure that you could teach someone how to manage such emotions to a certain extent. But if the damage to his brain was really such a huge part of the murder as he claims? Is it really possible to teach him coping mechanisms to stop that from happening again? I did a bit of research into outbursts of temper and other emotional changes related to traumatic brain injury or TBI. And some sources do say that time can help moods to stabilize and decrease the frequency of outbursts. And there are medications that can also help to stabilise mood. We do know, though, that this incident occurred 10 years after Darney's head injury. So clearly time did nothing to stabilise his mood. So this should be the end of the episode, right? Donnie's sentence, everyone makes their best attempt to go on with their lives. Well, no, it's not. In 2016, Jacaranda FM interviewed two prisoners, both serving sentences for murder. Dani Van der Funderwald was one of those prisoners. The following is the audio from that interview. Donny, how long is your sentence?
1: Um, Ryan, I'm going to speak English okay. because most of the people listen English. Oh right, okay, yeah. So um, my sentence is seventeen years. Seventeen years. What did you do, um, or, did. or not do? I did I made uh, I committed murder, yes. Be careful? Um I I murdered a young lady. Uh, she did not deserve what I did to her and um, I'm very sorry for I've done that to her and her family and even my own family. All right. And you've been here for how long? I've served eight and a half years of my sentence, and then one year ach, almost one year—waiting um, trial. So altogether, about ten years, more than ten years in prison. But oh. my sentence, eight and a half years. All right. Now, uh, you, how do you feel about uh, you feel you've been rehabilitated in prison? Because sometimes people tell you you come out worse than you were before. Um. Yes. When I. When I was uh, still at trial, um, I was sitting in the in the in the bench, listening to the testimony of of my victim's uh, mother. She testified about the daughter, um, how she grew up, how uh, how she felt about her, and I could relate to her because I also have two children. So I could put myself in her shoes, and it was terrible. Um, it made me realize that I needed to change. There was things wrong with my lifestyle and I had to take a deep look at myself. And when I was sentenced, I started doing programs. I um, I joined, the. I worked with the psychologist, I enrolled in various programs, like I said. And then um, I also started studying, did my N2, in- N6. I did my trade test in electrical engineering. I'm very grateful for correctional services, for giving me this opportunity, and even the inmates. Um, everybody helped me. I just want to say uh, I miss my kids a lot. Um, in here, you learn how to appreciate the time with your family, because you can only see them once once uh, there is opportunity. So yes, um, it's very tough in here, and I want to say that I love, uh, love them, and uh, I miss them a lot.
0: Natalie brought this case to my attention last year. It was because there was talk about Donnie being released on parole and Marlene's mom Joey was quite upset about the prospect. Then Joey received a Facebook message that shattered her world. Donnie van der was not up for parole. Donnie van der had been released on parole in 2016. For three years Joey had been living without knowing that her daughter's murderer was living freely on the outside. The most shocking part of this is not that Donnie van der was granted parole. He had served more than half of his sentence. But Joey, as Marlene's next of kin, was not given the opportunity to represent her daughter at the parole hearing. She had no idea it was even taking place. Now, I will say, to be fair, that we don't know why Joey was not aware of the parole hearing. It could have been as simple as her contact details not being up to date with the investigating officer or the Department of Corrections. We don't know. Joey is understandably not happy, and she's spoken to a few media outlets about her feelings. Although she knows that his release cannot be undone, Now that she knows Darnie is no longer incarcerated, she wants to meet with him. She wants the opportunity to sit in front of him or talk to him on the phone and ask him the questions she never got answers to. And honestly, considering what this woman has been through, I don't think that's too much to ask. What harm would it do to sit down with her now, Darnie? You've already been sentenced and served a portion of your sentence. No matter what you tell her now, none of that can change. What's the worst that can happen? Maybe she'll have questions you can't answer. Or maybe there'll be answers you haven't figured out yourself. Neither of those possibilities will put her or you in any worse situation than you're already in. And maybe you can give a little bit of peace to a lady who has experienced more than her fair share of sorrow. Don't you think she deserves that? Marlene Mower would have been 36 this year. She might be married. She might have children. She might be a single, thriving businesswoman. Whatever choices she may have made for her life would have been her own to make. But those were all taken away from her. Every moment she would have lived, was snatched away for no apparent reason. Whatever difficulties Donnie van was experiencing in his life should never, ever have led to the outcome it did. But it did, and we can't change that now. Joey needs two things. She needs to know why she was not given the opportunity to be her daughter's voice at that parole hearing. Even if it was a simple administrative error, she needs to know. The second thing she needs is half an hour with Donnie van der Vault and some straight answers. Thank you for listening to episode 19, The Murder of Marlene Moa. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on the app you're using to listen right now. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook twitter and instagram if you'd like to support the show we have a patreon account and if patreon is not your thing or if you'd prefer to just do a one off donation we also have a paypal account which you can access at paypal.me forward slash true essay i'll be back next friday with a mini until then thank you for your support and i'll chat to you soon